1: My friends, welcome back to the podcast. You're listening to Dr. Low Show. I am your host, Dr. Lauren Noel, naturopathic doctor. Thanks for joining me. (laughs) Sometimes I'm so awkward. Do you guys ever feel like you're just awkward? Sometimes it's okay. We could be awkward. You can still show up. You don't have to have it figured out all the time. You know, I actually used to do this show live for the first five years of doing the show, and I said um all the time. I stuttered. I had times where I was low blood sugar and I didn't know what I was saying. And then I started recording it and it's like I had to go back and keep recording it and fix it and everything. It's like, you know what? I'm going to not stop and go back and record it again at all this time. That's my promise, (laughs) mostly to myself. Cause it's like, we just got to get over the fact that we're not perfect, but we're perfectly imperfect, right? I just feel like I needed to say this. So if any of you listening are dealing with feelings of just being critical to yourself or feeling like, um, you're not this or that enough that you need to compare yourself to someone, I encourage you to just let it go and just show up and keep doing your best and give yourself some grace. I think that, you know, we, we hear about like abusive relationships and stuff, but to be honest, I think that the most abusive relationship we'll ever encounter is oftentimes with ourself. So check your self talk today. What have you been saying to yourself? Has it been kind? Has it been maybe critical? And, and also don't judge your judging. <laughs> Just notice it and have compassion, forgive yourself, and maybe do a little pat on your back. Say one thing nice to yourself right now. And uh, what am I going to say to myself? Lauren, you're doing a good job. You're a good mom. You're doing your best. Thanks, Lauren. Anyways, totally off topic, but I felt like I needed to say that to you guys. This show is not about self-talk at all. <laughs> it's actually about sugar. Um, but you know, I really think that a lot of times we use sugar because we need comfort and it's a way of self soothing, right? A lot of behaviors we do is because of self soothing and that's totally normal. It's something that babies do. I mean, babies have an innate reflex to, um, you know, to, to cuddle, to suck on a pacifier, suck on a bottle, you know, breastfeeding. And, um, you know, we learn these different ways of self soothing and, and we still, I mean, we still need them as adults. So, We're going to talk a little bit about the psychology of sugar. You know, a lot of it will be about biochemistry and hormones and stuff, but just consider that you breaking your addiction with sugar is a way to actually really be kind to yourself so you can give yourself truly the comfort and the nutrients that you need to be your best and to feel your best and to, um, you know, heal your body. So it, it is more than just a substance. It's really about a behavior and a way to love yourself in a healthy way. So before we jump into the show, I really want to give some, some love to our show sponsors that help to make this show possible. I don't like to be commercially, um, but I do, you know, let's be honest, it takes time and attention and I have a little one now. So I really i um, am grateful to have some companies that I support, I believe in that are willing to be sponsors of the show. So it really makes this possible. The first sponsor is Fabletics. Now, Fabletics is a company that was um, founded by Kate Hudson. Love her. Love all her movies. I want her hair. I love that curly hair so much. I tried to have a perm years ago. It didn't look so good. So I stick with straight hair. And um, they have really, really cute workout clothes that are budget-friendly. They're not cheap. They're just inexpensive. And, you know, I, I really... Um, I'm a huge fan of Lululemon, but because of the prices of Lululemon, I can't really correct that. I can, I just choose not to have a lot of their clothes because they're pri- they're cr- pretty pricey. So what I love about Fabletics is the quality is really good. Their styles are super cute and they're always changing new styles and colors and things like that. Um, and they're very affordable. So you can get two pairs of leggings for $24. That's like half the price of the sports bra at Lululemon. Um, and also too, now that I'm a new mom, I'm looking to obviously... Get some new sizes that are more, um, what's the word, uh, flattering to my curvy figure now. So, uh, I would love to pass on my discount to you guys. You get 15% off anything on their website. You could also get the specialty on the leggings. So, you just head over to faboletics.com. That's F A B L E T I C S dot com slash Dr. Low, D R L O, and you'll get hooked up with your discount. Second podcast, or sorry, second sponsor is Organify. You know that I love Organify. I love Drew Canoli. He's a good buddy of mine. He's been on the show two times before. He is the founder of Organify. This company is so integrity based. They give back to, um, they do a lot of charity. They have fantastic products that literally every ingredient is healthy. There's nothing in there. They don't cut any corners. Um, I fully stand by their products and the amazing thing is they all taste really good. So they have a red juice, a green drink. They have, um, a gold that you can do at bedtime. It's, it's kind of a nice hot drink. They have, um, a liver detox pill. They have an immunity formula. Um, they have amazing protein powder. If you don't have time for breakfast, this is what you need. You do uh, one scoop. You can put it in water, shake it up. And that's your breakfast. It has protein, fat, a proper amount of carbs. It doesn't make you bloated. It doesn't give you weird poop. I'm, I mean, like all their products are so incredible. So I totally stand by anything that they have on their website. I have looked very closely at everything and I highly recommend their products. I actually carry them in my clinic and prescribe them a lot. So anyways, you can get anything over at Organifi, 20% off any of their products. You go over to Organifi.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash Dr. Lowe. And at checkout, enter D-R-L-O-20, two zero, and you'll get 20% off your order. All right, you guys, let's jump into the show. We are talking all about sugar addiction with my friend, Dr. Peoples. Enjoy. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. So I'm excited because I have a friend of mine on the show that we have been friends for a long time now, actually. I think we've met, gosh,
0: when was that doc? How long ago did we meet? Oh, it ha- I think I was in residency at the time. So I think it had to have been like 2010, maybe.
1: Dang. That was like right when I graduated school. Was I already graduated when we met? Did I have a kid? I think you had just had a kid.
0: Yeah, so 2009. So
1: 2009. Yep. I think I was still in school. So, and then we met at ACAM, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, (laughs) side conversation. So, yeah. So, Dr. Nicole Peoples, she is an amazing um, uh, osteopathic physician. She is in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, we go way back, back to the old days of going to different medical conferences and just getting a lot more experience and out there and learning you know, different kinds of natural modalities and functional medicine. And, um, we've had so much fun together and I I got to go to her house in Atlanta. I mean, that was many years ago now and we just missed each other because you were just in San Diego, but we'll make it happen sometime soon. Um, but we are talking all about sugar addiction. I can really relate to this now, actually, because, um, I've been a little sleep deprived, and I will be honest, I've had a little more sugar come into my life. So when you said this topic, I was like, oh, perfect. We need to talk about this. Selfishly, I'm all about it. So welcome to the show, doc. It's
0: good to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk about it. And you know, I can talk forever about sugar. So like I told you before, like, roll me in. I reel <laughs> I in. A <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm a tangent girl, but I can also relate when people go on tangent. So I'll, I'll be good for you. <laughs> So tell me a little bit of why, like, I never really
0: heard your personal story of why you went into medicine in the first place. So why are you a doctor? So, um, you know, I was always the type of person who just had tons of questions and I always knew I wanted to be a doctor, but when I decided to apply to medical school, you know, I really wanted to figure out how to stay healthy. Like that was my whole entire purpose. And so, um, when I was applying to medical school, you know, most people were going to allopathic medical schools and I thought. I don't know if they're going to teach me how to stay healthy in allopathic right. And So I thought about natu- um, naturopathy and then I, I thought that osteopathy would be like the best of both worlds. And it kind of was cause kind it of, kind of wasn't it didn't give me everything I was looking for. But, um, but you know, once I got into medicine and I realized that there had to be more than what they taught you in medical school, because essentially what they teach you in medical school is how to make a diagnosis and a medication to prescribe, to address that, diagnosis um and that even though i thought that was interesting i i just knew there had to be more um and then you know really became real for me when i you know had my son my my first kid and i knew i was interested in health but it became real in a way like how do i keep him healthy right yeah. and i i think about my mom and i think you know my my parents are aging how do i keep them healthy and I knew that I was going to have a husband, at the time I had a husband and I knew that we were going to get old together. How do I keep him alive so he never leaves me? You know, we can get out of here at the same time at 99 struck by lightning. Um, so that was sort of like the goal. And so that's, you know, kind of what drew me into medicine, but also what drew me into functional medicine, which is what I practice now.
1: Yeah. What is osteopathic medicine for people who aren't familiar?
0: So, um, osteopathic medicine is another form of um, licensed medicine, medical practice. It's very similar to allopathic or MD medicine. So, um, allopathic doctors they graduate with the designation of MD. Osteopathic doctors graduate with the designation of DO, um, and they have the same licensing. Um, uh, um, they have the same licensing ability. So you can prescribe medicines. We basically practice the same. We do you know, cross um, residency. So my residency was actually an allopathic residency, even though I went to an osteopathic medical school. The major difference is, is that uh, osteopathy based off of the, function of the idea that structure and function are related. So if your um, structure of your body is out of place, then it won't function optimally. And so we get additional training on top of our medical training in something called osteopathic manipulation, and so that's a part. It's a huge part of our medical training, but you'll find that a lot of osteopathic doctors don't actually practice manipulation. So we pretty much operate a lot of us the same way that MDs do, and it's kind of sad that that's the case. Um, But the other thing that makes it different is that we also believe that the whole body matters. So it's a more holistic view, which is why. I went into it because I wanted to look at the whole person and not just an organ system.
1: Yeah. I love that. And actually my uh, OB who delivered Zion is an osteopath. So that's pretty
0: cool. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I know. Represent. Well,
1: cool. So let's talk about sugar addiction. Um, This is a big deal. And I feel like it's so weird. I feel like people don't really talk about this enough. They still talk about fat being a problem and cholesterol. And it's like, it's so outdated, but people still talk about that. Why is it that sugar isn't really, I mean, but then, then again, there's a lot of sugar-free options, which are still not good for you. Right. But let's, let's talk about sugar. So tell me about like, how bad is this nowadays? And, Mm -hmm. you know, and why is it that people aren't really like, I don't know, they're not really addressing this, I feel like.
0: Well, I think what's—it's funny you should say that—is because I think about this all the time. Because it, I also, you know, I'm a, by training, I'm an internal medicine doctor, and I still work in the hospital setting. And if you've ever been in the hospital, you'll find that the food is not conducive for healthy living
1: at uh, all. I remember when I was in the hospital, you know, giving birth to Zion, and I was like, I can't eat anything on this menu. Like I had to smuggle in food.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the case I in mean, the hospital. I have a daughter, and it's interesting because we were just talking about our own personal experiences with the healthcare system, but. Um, you know, I was telling you that my daughter has sickle cell and we were in the hospital for five days over the holidays last year. And I was like, you know, it's hard enough to be like the doctor mommy, but it's also yeah. really hard when you're a doctor mommy who's also very holistic. And so you're just really cognizant of how nobody's even thinking about or addressing the nutritional needs of a person. Nobody's thinking about gut health when you're in the hospital in the time that you need it the most. So one of the things that I think the reason why we don't talk about it is because it isn't um, necessarily co-signed by conventional medicine right. and which is bizarre because something blows like my that,
1: mind blows my mind like that's so it's so obvious and so heavily researched what it does but it's just not in the mainstream
0: it's not in the mainstream and the reason is, is because like i told you in medical school that's not what they teach you they teach you how to make a diagnosis so in this case, one of the major sugar- related diseases would be diabetes, so you make the diagnosis of diabetes, and then what do they teach you to do about diabetes? They say the first line of therapy should be um, diet and nutrition and lifestyle changes, but they don't tell you how to get people to make those changes or what specific changes they should make, but then they jump right to you can start off with metformin, and you can you know escalate to uh, insulin at some point, so they get straight to the pharmaceuticals. And so because of that, you have a whole entire army of physicians out here who have no idea how to address the issues of diet, nutrition, and specifically sugar, even when it comes down to the most sugar prevalent disease, which is diabetes, heart disease, and and now liver disease. So you would think it would be something that doctors would talk about. And because doctors don't talk about it, then it's, it's it's not considered to be that important. Where obviously, if it were important, they would have learned about it and they would be talking to me more about it. Right, well, I
1: think a lot of people go, okay, well, I don't have diabetes. I don't have heart disease, so sugar's <laughs> fine. I can totally have it.
0: Right, and so the, here's the, here, well, here, there's a couple issues with that. Number one, the idea of uh, making a diagnosis of diabetes. Um, first of all, diabetes is something that happens to you over decades. So it's not, you don't wake up one morning and have diabetes you have a precursors to diabetes for years before you develop it. So oftentimes people don't even know that they're at risk. Um, and oftentimes people who are even diabetic or pre-diabetic don't even know it. So about a third of um, the uh, people who are pre-diabetic don't even know that they have pre-diabetes. And there's also a large amount of people with diabetes who don't know that they're diabetic. So that's one huge slew of people that really need to be addressed. But then what if you don't have pre-diabetes and you don't have diabetes well then sugar also plays a role when it comes into weight issues right and so there's you know the so much of our population has issues with weight um, over being overweight and obese so that's another slew of individuals and then there's just a whole other slew of individuals who may not have any of those issues but have a whole lot of other problems like autoimmune disease or gi dysfunction or um Uh, emotional or mood issues. And they don't realize that that's related to sugar. So one of the things that I hear people talk about all the time, and I think this is going to be something that's going to lose some steam over time is this idea of eating six small meals a day. Right. And we can debate about that. But one of the reasons why people like that idea is because they assume that the reason that they're getting tired or that they're hungry is because they need to eat. And the only reason they need to eat is because their hormones are imbalanced because they have thrown their hormones off because of sugar. So their insulin levels are dropping between meals, and they think that hunger that's happening is a result of, I don't know what people think it's a result of, but what it is a result of is an imbalance in hormones because of sugar um, or overconsumption.
1: Exactly. So,
0: so, so if you keep feeding yourself
1: several times a day, it's like you're kind of like just treating the symptom or just managing the problem instead of f- fixing the underlying imbalance, right? Correct. Yeah. And also too, I mean, in my practice, I see a lot of patients who have hypoglycemic tendencies. So They tend to have blood sugar crashes or they get hangry if they don't eat. Yeah. And, and I tend to find that those can oftentimes be precursors to pre-diabetes and diabetes because it's an imbalanced blood sugar regulation thing. So it's like we got to stop that in its tracks, you know, before it progresses into eventually having, you know, insulin resistance down the line.
0: Yeah, and not only, you know, that, that issue of like being hangry, um, I mean for a lot of people that is so disruptive to their life right? right and so yeah this isn't hangry isn't a medical diagnosis it doesn't have an ICD code but be. it is something that interrupts people's <laughs> quality of life and really can disturb their the way that they are able to achieve in their own life so from a productivity standpoint that's also a big issue but you know sugar just it, I mean, I, I think I'm not giving enough justice to the fact that sugar can also lead to so many other dysfunctions in the body that yeah. aren't just related to, you know, diabetes and obesity. For sure. I mean, it's the number one
1: ager, let's be honest. That right. is sleep like deprivation, I would say, right? If you don't sleep and you eat sugar, you're going to look a lot older than you are.
0: Right. And, yeah. and you're more likely, you're, you're likely going to die sooner. So right. Talk,
1: then there's um, that. There's
0: that thing <laughs> so you that, look
1: older and you actually are. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. So it, because it doesn't, it messes with your, your cells and the way your cells function and they end up becoming toxic and um, you can actually get damage and develop cancer and all these other sort of diseases that we associate with aging. But they're not really associated with aging as much as it's associated with long term exposure to a toxin. And that's what I talk about sugar as. I talk about it as a toxin because, um, you know, there's that old saying that, you know, it's the dose of something that makes it poisonous. And for sugar, the problem with sugar isn't that sugar in and of itself is bad. You know, sugar that comes from natural sources in and of itself isn't bad. The problem is is that our bodies are overexposed to sugar and that overexposure to sugar becomes poisonous. Another good example of that would be water water isn't toxic until you drink too much of it right um, uh, caffeine um, isn't caffeine necessarily isn't um, a poisonous, but nicotine um, can be poisonous and but at a high enough doses. so you just have to be yeah you have to be, be aware that we're not i'm not demonizing sugar I just know that we can't continue to eat it at the amounts that we're eating it and expect to have healthy lives. For sure. I think that the
1: thing really to take away from it is that having it every now and then, it's not a big deal. You know, if you have a, a good regulation of your biochemistry, if you have habits every day that, that kind of keep your blood sugar in balance, and then, you know, you go to a wedding or you go on a vacation or whatever, and you can enjoy yourself. Number one, you won't want to have as much because you won't have the taste for it as much. And number two, it won't affect your biochemistry as much because you tend to have those regular habits that are that are really balancing things out. I mean that's the way I see it, but I think it's more so when you use it on a regular as you know to give you some energy, to maybe help with your mood, like if you're someone that just really needs sugar for, as a comfort food. It's like okay, it serves a purpose and there's you don't need to judge it at all. You're doing it for a reason because you want to comfort yourself and that's okay. That action is okay, but the substance you're using is kind of abusive in a, in a sense because it's making you less healthy. You know, so how can you replace it with something that is kinder to your system, but still is giving you that comfort? You know, so I think it's just about having that awareness, kind of taking a step back and looking at your habits. And a lot of times, people don't realize how much they're actually eating. Right.
0: Well, I think the thing that you you touched on is the thing that I really talk a lot about, which is sugars biochemistry, because oftentimes, and it's kind of hard to separate sugar from just sort of eating unhealthy at the same time, because. Usually, the most unhealthy foods are heavily laden with sugar, so they kind of go hand in hand. But the thing that I really try to get people to understand is that the unhealthy eating habits are not a result of like willpower, right? It's it has to do with with everything with biochemistry. And if you understand that the biochemistry of sugar is causing you to overeat, is causing you to make healthy um, poor uh, health choices, then you don't have to have that shame that goes along with eating that whole bag of cookies or that whole bag of chips, because you'll know that actually the, the food was designed to stimulate the part of the brain that causes cravings. And so what you have to do before you can get to the place where you were talking about, where you can just have it a little bit, is you've really got to shut off that biochemical pathway. Right. And you can only do that, I think, effectively by doing sort of a clean cut of sugar for a short amount of time to allow your body to reset. So not just your brain re- chem- um, chemistry, but also your taste buds. And it also gives you an opportunity to get rid of cravings so that making lifestyle changes going forward is easier. So right. you really have to address that biochemical part and then you can get to a place where you can understand how to use sugar wisely and not yeah. overuse it. And now it's how hard to do
1: you think that that is needed to avoid it for a little bit.
0: So um, it's up to it depends on the person, but I would say at minimum three weeks. Yeah. Um, at most six months, and that wow. person maybe up to six months might be the person who um, is either a pre-diabetic or a diabetic. But even even if you do the three weeks, the three weeks the purpose of that is to start to reprogram your brain biochemistry, but also it gives you some time to sort of learn how to change habits. Um, And it also helps with the cravings and resetting your taste buds. Some of that work can really be done if if you're really aggressive over a week's time. You'll be able to see changes in your taste buds. You'll be able to see changes in how you crave foods. But I I really tell people, minimum three weeks, get it out of your system completely. And we're not just talking about the white powdery stuff, but we're also talking about, (laughs) you know, flour, chips, potatoes, starchy vegetables, beans, surprisingly. Um, and then also some of these higher sugary type fruits. I mean, I would you eliminate all of those things so that you can reset the biochemistry, and then you learn how to reintroduce sugar back into your diet in a helpful way.
1: Don't take and my you, watermelon. Don't take my watermelon. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's the worst. It's so sugary.
0: Well, it's not the worst because it has so much water, right? So the, okay, the glyce- cool. index of it is high, but the glycemic <laughs> load is is not. Can't, uh, yeah, so I won't take away your, your watermelon after the three weeks.
1: Just not half but a watermelon I, at a time. Hold it together. During
0: the to three weeks that we take it away, though. Okay. I know. <laughs> you can have berries.
1: Okay, all right. I love how you call it the, the white powdery stuff. I mean, it instantly it's like cocaine pops in my head, but it's more addictive than cocaine, right? I love I've that.
0: So the, the, that's actually the name of my course, is Cocaine and My Cookies. And um, the reason I named it that Um, is number one, because it's can be more addictive than, um, uh, cocaine. Um, but the other thing was, is that, you know, I was telling you that I really got into this area of sugar when I had my first kid. And and the thing about it was, is that I was that person who would always, um, I would be looked at strange when I wouldn't let my kids eat the things that people thought were normal things to feed kids like Cheerios or orange juice, um, or apple juice or, um, or just crackers, you know, these are things that you would never find in my house. I wasn't a person who let my kids eat candy, um, but you know, candy people can understand, but why won't you let them have crackers? Why won't you let them have oranges? And I used to tell people, well, would you give your kids cocaine? Right, And they would never get that. They never got the correlation. And so I started a whole entire lecture when I was at Stanford talking about um, cocaine in my cookies, right? Wow, like getting so people to see the relationship between the addictive nature of sugar as we look at other substances of abuse. Yeah. And I think about this idea of addiction because addiction is a very strong word. And when we say it, it harkens to substances of abuse like cocaine, alcohol. Yeah. Um, but I even make the argument to some degree without kind of getting a little too psychosis here. But I do make the the, the distinction that we kind of have to treat sugar the same way we treat other Substances of abuse, and you don't tell an alcoholic, you know, eat it in moderation, drink it in moderation. You don't tell people who have um, cocaine addictions, oh, you can have it once in a while. You really have to treat the sugar addiction like it's an addiction because it is. Yeah, it, uh, it, it's an addiction at the level of the brain. Again, going back to the idea of biochemistry, works on the same part of the brain as cocaine, heroin, alcohol, sex, other substances of abuse. So we're not talking about this theoretically. We're talking about this biochemically.
1: Yeah. Wow. So good and so important. You really painted a picture so clearly of how serious it is. I wonder, they, they need to have sugar anonymous. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, they have overeaters I- anonymous, but that's, it's not just that. It's, it's really an addictive substance.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, I, I say all of this, and I am very serious about it. But I, you know, I don't want to scare people into thinking, you know, oh, I need to go into hiding about it. The great thing about sugar, and one of the reasons I chose it as like my first course, was because I, I feel like it is a low hanging fruit. I think that you don't have to convince people that they're addicted to sugar, and they're not shy to tell you that they're addicted. When I tell people I talk about sugar, they're like, oh, that's so important. Oh, I have a sugar addiction. And they didn't have to wait for somebody to make the diagnosis. The doctor didn't have to tell them. You didn't have to do a screening test to figure it out. People know instinctively that they have problems with sugar. And the problem is is that they don't know that there's something you can do about it. And that's where I think having some of these really good sugar detox programs come in place um, because it really helps people... (laughs) I don't want to use the word medicalized, but to some degrees it it needs to be medicalized because, you know, the diseases that are associated with them are medical. So, you know, I really take it seriously and not just sort of like, oh, we need to make these little small changes. For some people, we really need to be drastic and aggressive. And for other people, we can be gradual, but persistent. Right. Well, the thing is, is that inflammation,
1: we know that's the common theme. Of the major causes of of death, right? Like heart disease, stroke, cancer, diabetes, autoimmunity, all of them share the common threat of inflammation. Right. And one of the best ways to feed inflammation is to eat sugar. Right. Right. So if you have this addiction, you have maybe these family histories, or or I mean you don't even have to have a family history of those conditions to have those conditions down the line. I mean, everyone can benefit from from taking care of this for their for their lifestyle.
0: Well, you know, the thing about inflammation is that inflammation is a normal process in the body and it's necessary. The problem is, is that we end up having overstimulation of inflammation and that overstimulation can be caused by a lot of things. But the the thing that sugar has, it's pretty much unique, is that it is in everything. So you're constantly being exposed to a pro-inflammatory substance. And the reason, one of the reasons it's pro-inflammatory, because there's several reasons why it is, but one of the reasons is because it does have a hormonal uh, component to it. It increases a very important hormone called um, insulin. And insulin is a super pro-inflammatory food um, or a pro-inflammatory chemical in the body. And insulin is um, also the fat storage hormone. So it is the hormone that tells cells to take sugar into their cells, turn them into fat, and then keep it there. And so, be, once you will understand that that's what sugar's main trigger is, it, you know, you eat the sugar, your insulin goes up, and then you start this cascade. Then it's no mystery why people end up developing obesity and why it's so hard for people to lose weight, um, even if they change their diet. Why are people having uh, problems with, you know, diabetes, pre-diabetes, um, liver disease, kidney disease, heart disease? So if you understand the process, then it, it's not a far stretch to make that relationship. Well, maybe if I just remove a sugar out at the toxic levels, if I remove toxic levels of sugar, that maybe my body will actually begin to heal.
1: Yeah, I love it. You take that big factor out of the way and the body just does what it's supposed to do. But so if you're yep. constantly giving it that inflammation, it, it can't get ahead of it right yeah so let's talk about you know let's say people listening want to work with their doctor let's say they're not local to you or me and they want to see someone in their area and they want to get labs done to check for their you know their kind of their blood sugar health so we know fasting glucose i would also tack on a fasting insulin maybe Mm -hmm. hemoglobin a1c Um, anything beyond that that you think would be really helpful for them to get
0: yeah well let's stop before we go on to the other ones. I think the really big one there is that fasting insulin because your average doctor is not going to order that right so um, you really have to push and explain to them that you really want to have them check your fasting insulin it's not hard to do. I think that the average doctor, even if they don't know why they're doing it um, will be okay with ordering it because it doesn't, it, you can do it at the same time you're doing a fasting glucose. But then there's some other specialized tests, like a, um, more for people who are on that pre-diabetic side, um, things like a fructosamine, um, which kind of looks at it's like the hemoglobin A1C, um, but to look at how your glucose has been for the past two months, I mean, two weeks, as opposed to three months, like the hemoglobin A1C. Um, and then there's also something called um, adiponectin, And adiponectin levels have been associated with something we call metabolic syndrome, um, which is a relationship between obesity, hypertension, high cholesterol, and diabetes. Um, And so that would be another good test. And then the other one, um, again, is more associated with uh, diabetics, but a C-peptide, which also lets people um, know whether or not their pancreas is actually producing insulin anymore and whether or not that's a person who um has is a little too far gone so you might be a person who has had diabetes for a really long time you may not have even known it and your doctor's talking about going on insulin a c-peptide would be really helpful at that point or if a a patient comes to me and they're wondering whether or not a sugar detox is going to be enough well not if their C-peptide is abnormal. It's possible that you need a little bit extra, more than just a sugar detox. Yeah.
1: Like what What would be options typically for someone with that imbalance?
0: Right, so, well, insulin is usually. So yeah. usually what that's saying is that your body no longer has the capacity to make insulin, which is, even though I talked about it as being being pro-inflammatory, your body needs it. It just doesn't need it at toxic doses. Um, and so if you don't have insulin, um, you know you could end up dying from uh ketoacidosis which is right a
1: condition. yeah insulin so, is so inflammatory but you need it still you need some insulin
0: but, well the, and that's the thing about medicine is that it's really about a balance
1: yeah and
0: i said inflammation we need inflammation inflammation isn't a bad thing it's just when we have too much inflammation and it never shuts off so um and that, that goes the same thing goes for insulin the same thing goes for sugar you know so yeah. it's all about balance now the so, typical
1: doc probably won't be familiar with these tests though. So like if your doctor agrees to testing all of them, you may need to work with someone else to have them be interpreted.
0: That's right. Um, and so, and there's some, also some really good books out there. Um, I know that Mark Hyman, who makes t- talks a lot about sugar, you know, he talks about lab testing and stuff, but I think if you really have, these are abnormal, you really need to work with a practitioner, particularly if you're interested in um, treating or reversing your, um, uh, your current condition, or you know, preventing you from developing your condition later on down the line. I don't really think people should do it necessarily on their own, um, because you know I like to track my patients, um, and I would assume that any doctor following a patient would want to track to make sure you're doing it right and you're making the progress, um, because I don't want to make light of the fact that you know for some people doing a sugar detox or just changing your diet may not be enough all on its own. You might need to do some other work. Um, you you know, gut healing uh, things. And some people may need insulin. I'm not anti-pharmaceuticals when you need them. The question is, is, can we prevent you from needing them? Can we stop you from taking so many? And if we can't, what can we do instead?
1: Oh, it's such music to my ears when a conventionally trained doctor, although DOs are a little more holistic than MDs, but when you talk about prevention and more natural treatments you can do, it's like, it just makes me so happy. I love it. Thanks for doing all the extra training that you've done. It's really such a gift to so many people.
0: And um, Thank you. I, I mean, I, I, I honestly wish that there was a, like, the perfect medical school for me would be right. a mix between conventional medicine and naturopathic medicine, right? Totally. Which is I thought I was going to get an osteopathic school, and I got a little bit of it, but yeah. um, that would be the, the best, you know, best of both worlds.
1: Yeah, agree, and I love how, how we really can work together when we, you know, when you look at, at just the health of the patient being the ultimate outcome, then you kind of take the ego out of it you go, okay, what's going to work? Let's, let's really look at what works. So right. to me, that's just like common sense. But, um, so for people listening, you know, they may go, okay, yeah, I think I might have an issue with sugar. What would be some clues that they may have issues with sugar? I mean, I would say, you know, fatigue, uh, obviously actual cravings where you want to eat sugar a lot. Um, what, what else? Like what are some, some clues that that might be a problem?
0: Yeah. So, The first thing is, is I think anybody could benefit from taking sugar out of the diet. Um, And the reason I kind of jumped to that as sort of being the answer is because, you know, you can have symptoms, but oftentimes until you do the right thing anyway, by your body, um, it's, you're probably going to end up with symptoms. So if you don't have symptoms now, like fatigue and, um, you know, foggy brain and, uh, GI disturbances and sleep disturbances, if you don't have some of those symptoms already and you're still eating a diet full of sugar, believe me, it's going to catch up with you. So I would say if you're a person who's living in America, you probably need to, to address the sugar. And yeah. the, the thing you need to do first is just, number one, be aware that it's out there. You need to be aware that sugar is everywhere. It's in about 75 to 80% of all processed foods Um, And it's hidden in there. There are about 61 different names for sugar. So you're not always going to see sugar. It can be, you know, you can have all different sorts of types of names. Um, The other thing is is that, you know, all this world of sugar-free can also be very deceiving. And, you know, the the, uh, non-caloric sweeteners like uh, Splenda and Sweet and Low and all that stuff, all of that is probably inundating your diet even, and you don't even know it. So what I would say is that anybody who has not learned to clean their gut up and hasn't learned to eat really needs to go out and address their issues with sugar. But again, if you have issues with, um, you know, fatigue, urinating too much, crankiness when you haven't eaten, feeling like you have to eat all day long, having cravings all of the time, um, even if it's not specifically for sugar, it can be for bread, it can be for milk. Um, It could be for um, uh, uh, different types of grains. Those sorts of cravings um, oftentimes are related to sugar. Um, And then the visual issues um, are also more of a long-term complication of sort of diabetes, of undiagnosed diabetes. So you really, if you're having any of those sorts of issues like numbness and tingling in the hands and feet, then you absolutely need to just see a doctor You don't need to go on a sugar detox. You need to see a doctor, get labs tested, and then do the sugar detox in conjunction with whatever your doctor is recommending. Yeah.
1: Good. So good. Um, Sleep. Let's talk about sleep a little bit. We know that people who don't sleep, their blood sugar is pretty messed up the next day. Let's be honest. If you have a bad night of sleep, you're not waking up wanting a beautiful breakfast. You're going to wake up wanting some Krispy Kreme, right?
0: (laughs) And, you know, and I have a lot of personal experience with this because I was a nocturnist. I was a doctor who worked at night for four years. Yeah, no, longer than that, four or five years, six years. And I literally used to sneak and get cookies in the middle of the <laughs> night because I just, you know, I craved them. It was, and I didn't, I don't know, I, at the time, even though I, I was teaching this course at the time, I mean, I guess I knew that that's what it was, but, you know, it didn't stop me from going and getting the cookies. It was like right. my thing. And oftentimes, even if I'm like, if I'm exhausted and I have to work late, like the thing that keeps me going is something sweet. Um, and no matter, even now that I've gotten rid of you know my sugar cravings and I don't crave sugar that much, I'm sleep deprived even after all the work that I've done. I will still crave sugar. So sleep is so powerful. And the reason it is, or at least one of the reasons, is again it has to do with hormones, right? Cortisol levels are jacked up if you're not sleeping melatonin levels and all of these hormones interact with insulin they interact with another hormone in our bodies called leptin and so you which can lead to you feeling hungry when even though you're not hungry right and so the sleep part of it is a huge factor because it's one of those insidious things that even if you have the best of diet sleep will get you every time
1: yeah absolutely oh it's so good so so helpful Is there anything I didn't ask you about? I feel like we touched on some really good stuff, but I feel like, well, the other thing I'll say is, you know, we've been talking about different conditions and different symptoms, but even just, I mean, obviously if you want to lose weight, well, let me correct that, lose fat. I mean, sugar is a big hurdle. It's a big obstacle to that happening.
0: Yeah. I think one of the things that people don't realize about sugar is that sugar really causes fat storage. Uh, More than fat causes fat storage. Um, and, um, not just, so there's fat that you can get what we call subcutaneous fat, which is sort of underneath the skin that the, that's the type of fat that keeps you warm at night. It's not really that damaging, right? The fat that sugar causes is what we call intra-abdominal fat, right? Or even liver fat or organ fat. And the problem with that type of fat is that's the type of fat that is caused by inflammation that leads to cardiac death. Um, it leads to um, uh, liver disease similar to what people get when they drink lots of alcohol. So you can end up with cirrhosis and actually it's like the n- number, it's it's coming in as the number one cause of liver disease where alcohol used to be the number one cause, but now sugar is becoming um, the number one cause mainly because of the amount of fructose we have in our diet nowadays. Yeah. So there the issue of weight loss is really an issue because I don't know that people are really addressing their high insulin levels. And so if you're trying to lose weight and you plateaued and you're one of those people who might have quite a bit of abdominal fat, um, then you may actually have very high insulin levels and that those insulin levels, until you get those insulin levels down, it's gonna be really hard for you to lose weight. Um, When we talk about fertility and PCOS and all of these other things are all driven by insulin, which is driven by sugar. So Mm -hmm. I I think that, you know, obviously weight is a big issue. um, But again, um, it's not just the weight. You know, if, if you have the weight issue, that also puts you at a high risk of a whole lot of other medical issues that
1: you don't want. Yeah, for sure. I always tell patients when I hear them at their first visit and they're always talking about calories, how many calories they have and counting calories. I'm like, I just cringe because it's really like, please everyone listening, just throw the whole calories thing out, out the window and look at sugar instead. Look at sugar, look at how much fat and protein is in that food. If you really focus on the good fat, having sufficient protein and low sugar, you're going to have a lot more positive results than if you try to count
0: calories well and you know i'll add to that it's it's so although i am a big passion i have a lot of passion about sugar it's not only what you take out of your diet it's also what you put in right so really i tell people don't count calories like that's a waste of energy but think about quality over quantity right you want high quality food so you wanna make sure that you also have good nutrients because without those nutrients, you're not gonna be able to balance your hormones that you need to balance to lose weight and to get healthy. Um, And you obviously wanna eliminate sugar, but part of eliminating sugar is eliminating processed foods because like I said, 70 to 80% um, of the um, processed foods all have hidden sugar in them. So it's not just about going in and looking for sugar-free. I don't want people doing that either. What I want people to do is eat a whole food, plant-based diet, whatever that means to you. It doesn't mean that you have to be vegetarian. As a matter of fact, I don't usually recommend people be vegetarian or vegan, um, but under specific circumstances. But I do think that you have to eat a lot of vegetables. You need to get rid of processed foods. And when you do that, by default, you get rid of sugar.
1: Yeah. I find that for a lot of my patients who have such bad sugar cravings, will run their deficiency testing and they'll have specific deficiencies like zinc or chromium Mm -hmm. or magnesium or B vitamins or copper, like specific nutrients you need for blood sugar regulation. And I'd let them know it's it's not your fault. Like you have specific deficiencies that make it to where you are craving sugar because you need that quick energy. So, you know, I just invite everyone listening, like just forgive yourself. Don't shame yourself. Let yourself off the hook a bit. And just know that a lot of times it's not so much about your psychology or willpower, but it's like biochemistry, like you're talking about. So get a lot more nutrients. You know, I love um, oysters. They're packed with zinc or pumpkin seed. I mean, those are great. I mean, B vitamins, you can get a lot from um, liver. I don't know if people like liver, but a lot of times for people who have deficiencies, they need to take a supplement for their Bs. Um, copper is also in oysters. And uh, what was the other one I said? Magnesium. So you get that from beets. Um, I know almonds have some, and you know, there's some really good magnesium products you can do. So if it's just doing those things, like you might find that number one, you'll sleep better, especially with magnesium, and it probably will take the edge off a bit on those cravings.
0: Yeah. And I think also, um, the, um, the idea, the, the other thing that you have to think about is, is, Uh, gut health. Right. Yeah. Huge. People who have, you know, uh, all these nutrient deficiencies may have gut issues and it's really hard to heal your gut issues if you have a diet heavy in sugar. Um, And you can also have a lot of gut uh, dysbiosis. So like particularly Candida, if you're a person who craves a lot of sugar, one of the signs of that can be sugar cravings. And so if you have yeast in your intestines or elsewhere in your body, remember your microbiome really determines what you crave. Yeah. And so you really have to pay attention to what you're feeding your microbiome. And I know that's for a whole other podcast. But if you don't have a balanced microbiome, um, then you're going to have difficulty getting healthy in general. You're going to have difficulty absorbing nutrients. You're going to have difficulty losing weight, reducing inflammation. And you really can't heal the microbiome effectively with high sugar diet because you're feeding microbiome sugar. And what type of bugs like sugar, yeast?
1: right exactly you're feeding the critters they're having a party in your gut and they're making it really hard for you to you know feel good and lose weight and sleep and have a good mood and all that stuff so it's you truly your cells, not the critters
0: yeah i mean yeah. It's, it's truly a holistic process it, you know again i'm not here to demonize one nutrient versus another except that i tell my patients all the time i only demonize two things trans fat and artificial sweeteners Those are like my never, never has, never those in your diet, but everything else you could probably do a little bit of at some Uh point after you've healed your gut, after you've gotten rid of your sugar addiction, um, then you can start going to a nice balanced diet. But I'll say that, you know, the one thing that I'm getting more and more passionate about when it comes to eating is this idea of normal um, and people feeling like they're depriving themselves because they can't have certain foods. And, what I really try to get people to understand is that the normal diet in America is a disease diet. It will inevitably lead to disease. So this idea that you, we can all just eat what we've been eating and it will be okay um, is a falsehood. And so it doesn't matter if you have a sugar addiction or not. We have to start changing the way that we eat if we want to have a healthy, long life. Um, and so we have to change the normal. And so I'm really interested in trying to be a part of that, that making a new normal um, sure. and not just focusing just on sugar, although I feel like that's a low-hanging fruit because people can identify with it, but really you know, letting people recognize that when you go to the grocery store and you look at you know, 90% of the grocery store is processed food and 70% of that all has added sugar in it, then you realize that that can't be the way that we continue to eat. We just can't continue to shop the way we shop, eat the way we eat. We have to start to look at the things that are really, that our bodies really need to survive. Because just, you know, these diseases that I learned about when I was in medical school, and that wasn't that long ago, I mean, 10, 15 years ago, these were diseases that adults were having. We're now seeing fatty liver in babies. We're, we're now seeing central obesity in young children and right. diabetes in, in young children. And so. If we keep eating the normal, quote unquote, normal way, we're going to, you know, really decrease our life expectancy and have lower quality of life over the right. long Right.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's wild. I mean, I'm sure these moms, it's not like they're purposely trying to give their babies fatty liver or diabetes. I mean, it's just, it's really about education and, yeah. um, and learning otherwise, because you're right, they're just doing the standard
0: American diet. Yeah, they're just doing what they think is normal. Exactly. And I mean, I, to people all day and if they're not health inclined they'll argue with. Me. Right. And, uh, you know they'll you know they'll argue me down and I'm willing to have a good argument with someone who, who's looked at the science and kind of has been in this field for a while
1: well you're down I, in Atlanta so it's a little different down there than on the West Coast <laughs> oh, I
0: know. And you can imagine I mean I know that there are tons of people you know around the country who are talking about sugar but they're a, a slew of population that just have no idea right, right? they still don't know they've never heard of functional medicine or naturopathy or they just don't know about you know these things and I I tell people you know just the telling people not to eat artificial sweeteners people are still shocked by that and I'm just like you know how is that possible how do you not know but then I talk to doctors and I realize that they don't know and I look at the tricks.
1: we're in in such a little bubble we're such a bubble it's so good so To get the perspective. I mean, for me, I get the major perspective reality shifts when I travel. When I'm at the airport or on a plane. I mean, I like just just last night I was flying back from Colorado, and the girl next to me, sweetest girl. We had a great conversation. Her little boy is nine years old. You know, he's getting soda. He's getting cookies. Like all this stuff. And I'm just like, I you know, I'm not going to say anything. It's because that's her choice. But you know, I share with her what I do and stuff like that. And I you know, I just let people be curious and ask questions and stuff. But I just felt so bad for his little brain. You know, I mean, maybe he eats super healthy all the other time and it's just a one-time thing, like whatever. But, but for a lot of kids, that's their regular nutrition. It just, it me out cause he's a skinny kid. So he looks healthy, but you just,
0: you don't know the insides. And you know, and I tell my husband all the time, you know, we, we go places and particularly in this out, um, everybody is, you know, eating the same stuff. And, they, we're all gaining weight, right? And you're right. just looking around and you're saying, and I, that's what I tell people. I say, you know, when you go into McDonald's or you go into these fast food restaurants, look at the people around you. Do they look healthy? Right. You know, you, you can't keep ignoring what's right in front of your face. I mean, I guess you can keep ignoring it, but at some point you have to start looking around you and saying, okay, yes, everybody I know eats this way. Everybody I know goes to the reg- this grocery store and this is the types of food that they get but everybody is also getting very sick. And I mean, coming from a medical background and working in a hospital where I work with the sickest of the sickest patients, I can tell you that people are getting sick in ways that they just never have before. And um, it's just becoming more and more difficult to treat people without addressing the root cause.
1: Yes, so true. Oh, uh, such a good conversation. I could talk all day about this, but you are three hours ahead of me. You got some little ones, so we can wrap it up. Um, any parting words, anything before, um, I am def- going to definitely let people know how to find you and all that, but anything else that I'm.
0: No, I, I would just say, I would say that, you know, if you're a person who has not yet tackled this idea of sugar, um, addiction, I would start off slow, move, you know, make your way into just starting to recognize, looking at the world around you, um, and not feel super pressured. Um, I, even for me, it took me years to get to where I am now, and I still eat sugar, I still have cravings, um, but I think it's a little bit balanced. If you're a person who's done this before, if you've been down this road before and you just haven't seemed to be able to crack the code, I would say you know, seek out a, a professional and. Um, have someone actually help you walk, walk you through it because it's not just about beating the, the sugar addiction. It's also about changing habits. And sometimes you just need a little help for that.
1: Yeah. Amen. If you guys are local in Atlanta or if you're down to take a flight, which I highly recommend, she's worth it. You can uh, go visit Dr. Peoples at her clinic. So it's Dr. Nicole Peoples, right? Is that right?
0: Yep. Dr. Are- Nicole Peoples.
1: Yep, D-R-N-I-C-O-L-E-P-E-O-P-L-E-S. And you can also find her on Instagram at that same handle. And um, she sees patients locally, and then she can do follow-ups over the phone. Also, she is going to be um, doing a sugar detox program called Cocaine and My Cookies, such a genius name, and that's in January. So stay tuned for that. You can um, get that at her website. And, um, yeah, and also definitely check her out on Instagram, follow what she's up to. She is a wonderful doc. I can say that, you know, firsthand. I have had many conversations with her. She knows her stuff, obviously, and she's just adorable and a beautiful woman. Beautiful to look at. Yeah. You take really good care of yourself. And, you know, especially if you are a mama, she can empathize because she has three kiddos. So she's a busy lady. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show and sharing your expertise, and it was so great to have you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Lauren. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Low Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. And for more after the show, you can head over to drlowshow.com, where you can find the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share with all your friends. And please head over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review and leave a comment. I read each and every one and they warm my heart. Thank you so much again for joining us. I promise to keep bringing you fun, inspiring, empowering content. Until next time, lots of love, and I'll talk to you soon.